Welcome to Season 3 of The Lifestyle Chase, and I'm your host, Chris Little. This podcast features high performers who have found a way to live their best life while balancing their health, wellness, friends, and family. To help this podcast grow, please share it on social media, rate five stars, tell your friends, and check out the past 140 episodes and counting. You can follow me on Instagram at Christian Little and at The Lifestyle Chase. Thanks for listening. Let's get started. All right, and welcome to The Lifestyle Chase. We had a few technical difficulties, which is always character building, but nonetheless, you didn't know what happened. We're here. We're ready to roll. Um... I am joined by the one and only Alex Effort for episode 168. And how are you today? How is life treating you on this wonderful Tuesday? I'm great, Chris. First of all, I appreciate you having me on. It's uh, you know, it's pretty cold here in Toronto. You know, it's uh, for 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 the Canadians, it's about I think it's like six degrees. It, I mean, the sun's deceiving, but it's uh, you know, it's pretty cold. Looking forward to the warm weather, but yeah, otherwise everything's great. That's good. I mean, like, uh, we Canadians tend to have a bit of optimism when it comes to any kind of situation that we're in just because, like, winters can be pretty, like, awful. But with that being said, I want my audience to know, like, who you are, what you're about. Um, Give me, like, your professional intro and then your casual intro so that they can kind of know your credentials, but then also know who you are as a person. Okay, yeah. So I'm... My name is Alex Effer. I'm founder of Resilient Training and Rehabilitation, which is essentially just a, a company based out of Toronto, Canada, where I work one-on-one with clients who are either in pains from a rehab perspective or um, athletes and people who are just wanting to make sure they're able to move and train without the fear of feeling pain. Um, so in Canada, my title is an exercise physiologist. I don't usually you know, start with my title only because I don't think a title should define somebody. I mean, obviously you got to stay within your scope, but I would say that a lot of things that I've learned are not really what exercise physiologists do. Um, I learned a lot of stuff outside of school, which, you know, take some stuff from osteopathy, physiotherapy, um, even, you know, just reading stuff like basically like what are the other professions reading and I wanted to understand, you know, how they approach the body, how they move and kind of create my own system based on that. So that's why I don't really, you know, say, OK, this is what my title is, because um, I think everybody's a lot more than what their title is. Um, but ever since COVID happened, I started um, a company called Resilient Education, which essentially because of the, the diverse experience that I've um, worked through, that is, I was, I've been working in clinics where I worked with clients with Parkinson's, stroke, so a lot of neurological disorders. I worked in the collegiate settings to work with a lot of uh, athletes as well as professional athletes, and then working with a lot of people who are in persistent pain and just general population who just want to, you know, go out and swing a golf club without any pain and just want to live a healthy life. And because of that, by going through these different experiences and the education process that I put myself through, um, that allowed me to, you know, really come at movement from a, a different perspective than, you know, the traditional approach that, that, that you may see, which is kind of this, I call it like an outside in perspective, which everyone's like, 
looking at things from a muscle perspective and it's like, okay, well, it's muscle tightness and, you know, there's a lot more to it than that. And so because of that, um, I was asked by, you know, a lot of people in our field, you know, Katie St. Clair, I spoke on her mentorship, um, talked with people like Chris Kelly, Greg Hawthorne, and they kind of really pushed me to start sharing some of the stuff that I do on a daily basis with clients. And that's started resilient education where I do mentorships and I do, you know, live conference talks and basically presenting about what my model is. And so I would guess like that would be kind of like my professional intro and then who I am as a person, you know, I'm just, uh, I'm just a good old Canadian boy who likes to watch hockey and uh, <laughs> no, um, you know, I, me and my fiance, we live in Toronto and we actually just got a dog, a puppy. And so that's been, um, you know, that's, that's been occupying our lives a lot. And yeah, we just live a pretty, you know, chill life in Toronto. And, you know, we just, we're just trying to make it through COVID like anybody else. <laughs> yeah. I like that. Uh, what kind of inspired getting a dog? Like I've, I've been wanting to get a dog for a while. There's a few things that I want to line up first, but like, what was your process for uh, going into being a dog owner? Yeah, no, I mean, I've wanted a dog for, I gotta say at least three years, but just as you said, you know, I wanted to make sure things were in order. I wanted to make sure that I was living in a place that allowed, um, you know, gave the best experience for a dog to be in, do you know what I mean? To have as much space as possible. I mean, we're, we're still an apartment, but you know, we have access to a park, which is great. Um, the, the, the area in the city that we live in is great. Um, and we've, we've together been wanting to adopt a dog for la at least last six months. We've been talking about it and we put our name down a wait list and you know, the process right now, because um, getting a puppy is just, it's a hot commodity right now. So it took us a while to, to get the dog. And, you know, eventually we just, you know, we looked on Kijiji and, and we found a couple breeders that, you know, we, we connected with and we saw the dog and yeah, we got it. And I, so we got it last Wednesday and we had about 30 minutes of sleep on Wednesday. <laughs> so, for, so Thursday was a recovery day, but other than that, it's, it's uh, I think it was just, a change because I think with with COVID it's it's very much you know you can't travel you can't do a lot of things and so just something to to spark our life a little bit and you know we're our plan in any way is to get married in the summer and so if we get married in the summer then it's kind of the best time to get a to get a to get a dog I mean you don't really want to I I would find it hard to have start to have kids and then have a puppy at the same time having two kids. So we thought that this was the right time for us. Um, but yeah, the process is difficult right now because everybody wants a dog. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, I love how you answered that. Cause it's just like, it's the same amount of like deep thinking that I'd go through with a process like that. And just like having mm -hmm. to consider all of the, the things that go with that. However, mm -hmm. I'm going to throw a curveball at you. There's something that I do with guests often to kind of like get to know them a bit more and uh, give a bit more of their backstory. Let's go in the time machine, take you to grade 10. What was your life like when you were in grade 10? Grade 10. Well, I was playing, um, yeah, so grade 10, I was playing a lot of competitive hockey. And it was actually funny enough, I, I can't remember if it was grade 9 or grade 10, but I think it might have been grade 10, the beginning of beginning of grade 10 where I got my first pretty big injury in hockey. 
Um, I was hit from behind. I went knee first into the boards and um, that, that hit my knee into, you know, that, that really messed up my knee quite a bit. And so that caused me to have to go to, you know, physical therapy and, you know, really start to start to understand like what the body was doing. But um, so that was kind of my first exposure to the field and my, my interest into the field. And, but I was, I was playing competitive hockey. I was playing rugby. I was playing soccer. Um, I think I was, I think it really came into my own in grade 10. I mean, I was in grade nine, I was five foot two, right? And then in grade 10, the summer, summer of grade nine to grade 10, I, I, I shot up to six feet. And that made me pretty uncoordinated because I didn't know what to do with all these long limbs and stuff. So, um, so I guess, I guess my life was pretty occupied with hockey and all the other sports that I was playing. And, um, my parents were pretty tough on me, which was great. And, and they really said, you know, if you want to play all the sports, you have to get A's and B's as well to, to make sure that I wasn't just, you know, investing my time in sports and then not, you know, investing in my future through getting good grades and stuff. But yeah, no, I played, so I played competitive hockey, but I was also on the chess team. That's <laughs> <Because>, awesome. <laughs> yeah. Cause you need to have a little bit of both, right? I mean, chess is great because it's strategic thinking and it's taking two steps ahead. And um, my father growing up, he always believed in, you know, like if you're going to play a sport, you need to play something that's also requires a lot of strategic thinking. And so chess was something that he taught us growing up. So I played competitive hockey. So I guess I was considered a jock, but I also played chess. And so I was kind of playing both, both ends of the spectrum a little bit. Well, I mean, growing up like that, you would have had to have like some structure, some boundaries, like to be an academic and an athlete. What did you have in place at that young age? Like for, I'm just imagining, like, let's say somebody that's like 16 pops onto this podcast and they're like, I want to be like Alex Effort when I grow up. What did you have <laughs> to have in place to kind of like, uh, uh, navigate those stepping stones? I know it's nobody's journey is perfect, but, uh, yeah. what was, what was your lifestyle like in that sense to, to maintain those, uh, kind of plans that you had for yourself? Well, it's funny. Cause I never really, I know like a lot of my friends in grade in high school in grade 10 and grade nine, whatever, they were playing a lot of video games. Like call of duty was big back then. I mean, I played a lot of NHL, um, PlayStation, but even, even so like I didn't play a lot of it. I always had the mindset that, you know, I always wanted to get outside and I always wanted to explore and, and do things. And so I guess I always had some type of creative mind, so to say, or, or a, a mind that was always searching for answers on different things and just exploring. And, and I kind of, I don't know why I did this, but I kind of had this, you know, system in place where if I wanted to watch TV, then I had to do something productive first, almost to earn a right to do it. And for me, it was, I was very interested in shows like Shark Tank and Dragon's Den and, and stuff like that, where, I, you know, people who are entrepreneurs um, pitching their ideas to these people who are very successful and just really listening to what these successful people said and like how they would communicate, how they would react. Um, my, my father worked in the corporate world. And so he was exposed to a lot of people who were successful as well. And I don't mean success from a financial perspective. I mean, that definitely that was one aspect to it, but 
just successful in other parts of their life. Like they, you know, they had family, they, you know, they were able to do what they wanted to do when they wanted to do without feeling stressed. So I just watched them and observed them. But, you know, I think the biggest thing was just being open-minded and absorbing information and listening to other people rather than walking around the world and thinking, you know, all the answers because, you know, it's, it's pretty naive to think that a 16 year old, even somebody graduates from university or us now has all the answers. And so it's very important to listen to the people um, around you who are older than you. And, you know, I'm not saying that like, you know, just, I mean, I guess I'm saying like, listen to your elders and stuff, but you know, I, I currently, I work with a lot of um, clients who are very successful in their own fields. And I, I still do the same thing. I just listen to what they say um, how they say it, how they interact. I, I ask them what they're reading just to get an idea of, you know, how they think and, and kind of what curbed them to, to be successful and to be intelligent or think the way that they do. Um, but I guess if I were to sum it up, I would say, you know, reading is one of the most invaluable things that you can do to improve yourself because, um, you know, you, there's one thing that I wanted to do was when I graduated from university and my post-grad, I was, it's only 23 years old. Right. And so I was having, and I was working with people in a clinic who were much older than me, 50 and 60. And so, and I always ask myself, why would they listen to a 23 year old? And the only way to, to get people to think um, past your age is to speak with confidence and to actually know what you're doing, right? And so that's where reading books, that's where, you know, reading the people who are successful in your industry are important so that you're able to, again, communicate and people don't ask how old you are because they don't care because you get results and you speak with a confidence so they trust you. So, you know, reading is important. It's important to have fun at the right times, right? You want to play like play is very important. I was playing street hockey every day in the summer. I was, you know, playing tag and manhunt with the, the neighbors around the street. Like it's very important to do that. Um, but, you know, it's also important to like at that time to play some video games so that I was I was exposed to what, you know, what the culture was at that time, so to say. Right. So I wasn't just totally removed and isolated from it. So doing things at the right time is important and being dynamic with what you do. If you're watching TV, it's great to watch a show, but also, you know, maybe something that's like intellectually stimulating as well. Right. So um, again, I think it was just, I was always a curious mind and um, I saw my parents both work the corporate world and something I didn't want to do. <laughs> I didn't want to, I always wanted to work for myself. And luckily that's currently what I'm doing because um, I, I was working in clinics and universities and I decided that, you know, there's a lot of clinics and universities that are just not run well from a, a business standpoint. And I just mean how they treat their employees. And so I just said, Hey, if, how do I control that? I mean, work for myself. And so now it's, it's the best thing I could have done it was three years ago. It's scary, but you just have to take risks. It's important to take risks. Absolutely. I mean, like so much that you spoke to that I can either relate to or agree with, which uh, I mean, that makes me feel good about things. But then at the same time, 
there's things about your story that uh, kind of get my attention, make me wonder, like, okay, like, how, how did you get through these things? How did you, uh, like, it's, it's easy to talk about it. It's tough to do it when it comes to um, staying on track with your education, when it comes to um, following through with goals or expectations that we have for ourselves. I think people can be very critical of themselves. So much can go <laughs> on in their journey. Um, with that being said, let's go to the point of your career where you're in the middle of like post-secondary, you're getting all of your education. Um, what were the three toughest things that you came across that might have uh, stopped you in your tracks or challenged you the most? Like if you can recall on, on three things that kind of stand out to you. So one of the big things was, and I, I say this quite a bit, or I think about it quite a bit is when I was in university, I was, I wanted to be a physiotherapist and, you know, I did, I'd say like I was reaching out to physiotherapy clinics that I was interested in. Essentially, like I saw some therapists who I really like were doing in terms of who they are working with. You know, back then, if if you play sports growing up and you can't make it yourself, that's who you want to work with. You want to work with the professional athletes. And so I was reaching out to people who were working with professional athletes because I thought that's where it was. Like that's where it's at. Work with professional athletes. That's the ideal. And I was working at clinics and I didn't, I had some experiences where I was working with professional athletes in one room and then a, you know, a 90 year old or an elderly person in another room. And they were getting the exact same cookie cutter program based on their injury. And I just didn't like that. I found that very boring. I wasn't, I didn't know enough to understand why it wasn't right. I just knew that if you have this person who is like the pinnacle of athletic or performance, and then you have somebody who doesn't matter if they reach overhead or not. I mean, it does from a movement standpoint, but do they need to produce high force up here? No. Why are they getting the same program? They're two totally different ages. They were two totally different genders as well, which was crazy. And so, you know, and not that gender matters, but, you know, my, my point is, is that you have two totally different people you're looking at and you always have to make things very individualistic. And sometimes that's difficult from a, you know, if you're working with a group or you're working with, you know, a bunch of athletes or something, but you can still modify things to a certain aspect. So I was kind of deterred from that a little bit. I, I took all these internships and I thought that I felt like I was wasting my time because I just wasn't happy with my experiences and you know because of that and the other thing too is my, i went to a university that was very tough to get good grades in so much so that they would bell curve the class down if the grades got too high um and i'm just mean bell curve down it's just if, if the average was too high they would try to bring it down a little bit just so that they maintain some type of status within universities and stuff like that and and because of that it was very hard to get into my ma a master's into physical therapy. And so I kind of pivoted. I just said, well, like, what am I going to do? And I went to um, a university fair and I saw a program that was a one year non-thesis program for that allowed me to get my exercise physiology um, degree. And so that's where I kind of went. And I was just like, well, I don't know what to do with this, but it gets me, 
you know, it gets me into a different type of environment. I was moving away from the city and to a smaller part of, of Ontario. And I, you know, I, I really enjoyed it. It really, it was really an experience for me to kind of develop as a, as a person. Um, but even still, even when I graduated from there, I didn't know what I wanted to do because the, that aspect, like I didn't want to really work in a big box gym um, I'd been exposed to that because in order to get my certification, I had to do a certain amount of internship hours. So I, I interned at a big box gym and I really didn't like it. It just felt like, it felt like I had to sell all the time. And I just, you know, as a 22 year old, 23 year old kid, all I wanted to do was just work with people and train them. But, and I didn't like that aspect of it because I'd never really been taught how to sell or anything like that and to me back then like selling felt like I was being slimy in a sense I was just like okay like you know what you got to do is you gotta look at everybody as like a dollar sign and like I didn't like that I was more genuine I felt like I was more genuine with it and like I don't I don't want to tell somebody about a service that I didn't believe in myself and so I didn't know what to do because I'm like well I don't want to be physiotherapist because of my experience. However, I wish I kind of went through with it because I would have a lot. I understand the power of it now to, you know, be able to do manual therapy and stuff like that. Like I understand that and it, it limits you less. So I kind of wish I went through with it. Um, but at that age, I guess I was just a little bit too naive. And so um, that was one big thing. And then graduating from school again, like not knowing what I want to do. So I just applied to anywhere I can get into, applied athlete training facility, clinic. I was working three jobs at one point, just trying to understand what I wanted to do with my career. So that was a big struggle for me. That was, I'll tell you, that's the second thing, not knowing what to do after school. And then, you know, the, the third thing I would say um, was, you know, I left a clinic um, that I was working at that I was comfortable with, but I was just felt like I was bored, you know, like I was just, I wasn't, I didn't feel like I was progressing. And that's something that I always want. I always want to progress. I always want to feel like I'm learning new things. And so I try to seek out new jobs just for the learning opportunity. And so I quit that job with the intention of going to this other place. And I literally left within four days of going to this other place because Again, I just did not believe in in the values that they were um, that they were promoting, and so I, I decided to leave. And that was a big thing where I didn't have a job for eight months. Instead, what I did is, you know, I, I made a certain amount of money from doing from working at the clinic, and I was paying Toronto rent, which you know is very expensive, <laughs> mixed with me just saying, "Hey, I would rather." wait and find a job that I value rather than just pick up some random job. And so I invested in my education. I took eight months and I just studied and I took like PRI, I took DNS, I took FRC, like I took everything. Cause I'm like, I just want to learn this. And I think that was the third biggest struggle was what am I going to do after I left this job? Um, is it worth leaving a job, not having one, um, you know, not having income come in or do I, you know, just do the stuff that I don't believe in. And I just didn't believe in the value. So I decided to leave. And that was the third biggest 
thing. And then I would say the fourth hardest thing, if I were to do a fourth one in my career, which was leaving my last place to, to work on my own because there's a, a huge uncertainty working for yourself. But I'm so grateful that I had, you know, amazing clients who were supporting me and who said, Hey, like, you know, if you're not happy, like we'll still be your clients. Don't worry about it. And that was, it was, it was amazing. It was, you know, great support, great support for my family. And so doing it was a lot less difficult. But it was still difficult, obviously, because of the uncertainty. Yeah, but like, I mean, life kind of sets us up to be in these difficult situations to force us to grow. Like, you don't get mm -hmm. anywhere by being comfortable all the time. And it's kind of cliche, oh. but it's like people need to understand that, like, if they're not very comfortable right now with where they're at in life, that's probably a good sign. Kind of means some mm -hmm. good things are coming. Um, mm -hmm. With all of that being said, like you legitimately went through a lot of different certifications and stuff. Like I've listened to your appearances on other podcasts where you've listed it off in great detail. And so just to kind of like make people understand just how much you invested in your education. However, having said that, since you kind of like experienced all the different things, like what do you do to decide on your next continuing education venture? Like for people out there that are trying to, they're seeing all these mentorships, they're seeing certifications, they're seeing all these different avenues. What is your compass to decide like what your next investment is going to be? Like, how do you make those decisions? Yeah. So one thing I, one thing I'll say is just to kind of go back on one of the questions you asked me before. One thing that I've done since I was in grade nine, I think it was grade nine, was I've spent an hour, non-negotiably, an hour every day reading. And people are like, well, how do you do that? It's like I spend an hour before bed. Uh, every time I'm driving around, I'm listening to an audiobook. It's like we have time. Like, so like, I go to – in Toronto, I, when, I, when I'm not working online, I, I go to clients' houses. And so during that time, instead of listening to music, like, I listen to an audiobook. Um, but the other thing I would say is that COVID has been, you know, terrible, obviously, but from a, a progression of the industry, it's pretty amazing. I mean, you see a lot of people who are coming out who've taken a bunch of certifications and courses and they have different experiences and different learning and they're presenting their model and how they work with people. And I wish that was more you know, accessible when I came out of school because I had no idea where to start. I was just reading everything I could from anybody I could. And that caused some problems because I just, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't retaining the information because it wasn't, I wasn't applying it. It's like I would read something about nutrition, read something about this, something about rehab, something about the body, from all these different source, from all these sources. And I eventually was like, what? Like, I'm not applying any of this. I'm not intaking. I'm not really retaining it. So how do I find a better way to retain it? And literally, I started reading books on how to learn. And I didn't read books about, you know, human movement. I was reading books how to learn because it didn't make sense for me to learn about human movement if I didn't understand how to retain it. So I was reading books about neurology, psychology, and, and stuff like that so that I was able to understand how to learn. Um and so for me, it's just finding things that I'm not good at. And I'm always going to evolve my model. And that's exactly why I called my mentorship Evolve is because I always want 
to improve. Like, I don't think that what I'm doing is right. I don't think it's wrong either. It's just at this point in my career and the information that I've absorbed, it seems like, like it's, it's working to some capacity. Right. And so that's why I'm like, okay, well like this, this is good. But you know, at the beginning of COVID, I never really dove deep into the foot, foot mechanics, anything like that, because I really, you know, I was not good at it. And so I, you know, I didn't know where to start either. And, you know, I was reading anatomy books, but again, I wasn't retaining information. So, um, you know, I give credit to people like Gary Ward, Bill Hartman. I talk with, you know, Greg Hawthorne daily. Um, him and I just, you know, go back and forth with uh, just communicating and, you know, progressing our knowledge. But I would say what I do is I kind of reflect and I'm like, well, what am I not good at? And what, what have I not learned yet? So the foot was one thing that I wasn't good at. Um, and what I do is I chunk my learning. So if I want to learn about one topic, I will learn about only that for three to four months. And I'll do that with three different topics a year. That's from an actual reading perspective and within the field perspective. Outside of the field perspective, um, you know, it's it's – it's not random, but there is some randomness to it. But right now I'm, I'm learning about, um, I'm very interested in, in like green and renewable energy and stuff like that. So I'm learning about that. Like I'm reading uh, Bill Gates climate book. Um, but in all honesty, for me, it's just, what am I not good at? How can I improve it? It's not good to always read about things that you're good at or do stuff you're good at because then you just reinforce some type of confirmation bias and I guess you can develop a little bit of an ego and, and stuff like that and, and, or, or you become complacent. And for me, it's just I, I'm, I always want to grow. I always want to do better, um, but not in a paralyzing way. Like I don't think, oh, I, if I don't do this, then something, you know, then I feel bad about it. It's like, no, it's, it's more of an excitement to me. And, you know, there's people in this industry who've been in the industry for lo longer than me, right? They're older than me. And, you know, I, but I don't look at them and be like, oh, I got to really learn because I know, have no idea what they're talking about. It's, it's not that at all. It's, it's like, look, they've been in the industry for 10, 20 years longer than me. Like, I will get there. I don't need to rush it. It needs to be a slower burn. And I think people need to realize that too, is that, you know, you don't have to be as smart as other people. You just because you're working in a different context, you intake or absorb information in a different way than other people. And so even when people take the, you know, my evolve, it's like, I'm, I'm, it's like drinking out of a fire hose sometimes because I'm, I'm given so much information and they're like, Oh my gosh, I feel so overwhelmed. It's like, don't, you know, it's taken me, you know, I've been in this industry for 10 years now. It's like, it's taken me 10 years to, to really start to, understand this stuff and apply it and I, i'm still building it. i'm still growing it and people who took the first evolve compared to this one it's, it's totally different and so i would say it's just find things that you feel like you're not good at and then do it um it's tough though it's tough to really like reflect and be like hey what am i not good at because it's uncomfortable right as you said like it's there's kind of a there, there's a beauty with discomfort in that, you know, it's, it's how you grow by putting yourself in uncomfortable situations. And 
once you realize that, once you get out of your comfort zone, that's really when you start, it becomes less uncomfortable. And then that's when you grow. I love so, that. Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. And I mean, it's good. Like you're so like on, on the point with just the trajectory that you're taking the conversation kind of thing. Because I mm -hmm. was like thinking about uh, your mentorship. I've seen so many of our mutual friends um, immersed in your mentorship. Um, so I want to give you the platform to kind of talk more about it and tell people what's coming up and just promote the living crap out of it. So like whatever <laughs> you want to talk about with your mentorship, the floor is yours. Um, give people the insights and just sell it. Sell it to my audience. Yeah. So one thing is, is, I'll mention before COVID, I didn't do any posting on Instagram because it was so uncomfortable for me. I, I didn't like it at all. Again, it was something that was very uncomfortable. I was not used to it. And even promoting myself to some capacity, it's important to, you know, to, to realize that, um, you know, or something that I've grown, it's like, it's okay to promote yourself to some capacity, right? You know, as long as it's not, you're like, you're in people's faces all the time. That's something I'm always concerned about. Like, I don't want to, you know, be in people's faces and be like, Hey, like come take evolve, come take evolve. But I put it together because I put evolve mentorship together because I've taken a bunch of systems and I've, I've read so many books and spent so many hours over the years reading and learning and applying and failing. And what I found that I wanted to do was create a system where people have this foundational system to build off of. So it's like, where do I start? What information is important for me to start when it comes to assessing, when it comes to programming exercises, what are exercises actually doing and the, like how the human body moves and the principles in which it moves. And so I wanted to put this framework together for people so that if they said, okay, well, I want to learn more about neurology. I want to learn more about fascia. It's like the reality is, it's like it's all going to come back to this foundational principle system. And so that's why I put Evolve together. It's like I, by taking all the courses, by reading all the things, I've noticed that there's certain patterns and certain things that everybody, um, whoever is presenting like these different models, they talk about. But they may use different terminology. They may say it in a different way or they focus on one particular aspect of the body or how the, how the body moves in general. Like somebody's focused on breathing. Somebody's focusing on more, more mobility, although they're the same, they're, but they're the same thing. They're both influenced by each other. And so I put this, this eight-week course together, mentorship together, because I wanted to have trainers, therapists join it and start to talk about the things that I have found that, are, that work and make their process a little bit simpler because you're, when you're standing in front of somebody and you're like, okay, I am looking at a posture, which is a reflection of all the different compensation this body is undertaking, right? Or they, they are using. It's like, where do I start? It's like, okay, well, do I start at the shoulder? Do I start at the rib cage? Do I start at the pelvis, the foot? It's like, where do I start? And so for me, it's like, I wanted to put together this framework that progresses over the weeks is like the first week is like okay let's talk about systems and how we view the body as a whole from a global perspective then we talk about the thorax and the pelvis and how you know they interact and how they move and then how the foot moves 
and how to be able to look at the foot to understand what's going on with the pelvis, the rib cage, even the, the head, the neck. And then from there, like we have a Slack group where we talk about, um, or we, we, we assess each other. It's so funny. The first time I ever did this foot course, I'm just like, hey, everybody, can everybody post pictures of their feet? And they all looked at me like I was weird, right? I'm like, it's not for me, okay? It's, it's for you, I promise. <laughs> but it's just like what the intention of it was, okay, we do a week about the foot, and then we do the assessment lecture, which assesses everything. And then we do um, a compensation lecture, but what everybody's doing is they're posting their, the pictures of their feet. And then everyone's like, okay, well, this is the kind of gait mechanics that I'm seeing based on this foot. And then you were applying it to the whole body. Now everybody's posting their whole assessment and they're like, okay, well, what I saw at the foot is making sense of what I'm seeing in their squat or something like that. And then we talk about programming. It's like, okay, well, based on these pictures that you've seen, how would you program for this person now? And so I wanted to create a system that structurally builds on top of each other so that people gain the amount of as, as much rep as possible so that when they leave the mentorship that they have some experience already because we don't have the benefit of being in person right now. And so I wanted to create a way to be able to do what we would do in person virtually. And so that's why I organized it that. But honestly, we have Pilates instructors. We have foot doctors like podiatrists. We have, I have a couple dentists. I have personal trainers, strength conditioning coaches, physical therapists, chiros, osteos. Like I have everything because the reality is, is the title doesn't matter because the principles are the same. The only reason, the only thing that the title does is it allows you to do certain things that others can't, right? Like personal trainer shouldn't be putting their hands on people, you know, uh, but like a physical therapist should understand how to program exercises. And that was a big thing at the beginning of COVID. I had a lot of friends who were physical therapists who were now forced to go virtually. And they're like, how do I assess virtually? How do I now program exercise because I'm so used to the manual stuff. It's like, well, you got to be good at both. You have to understand the exercise stuff um, just because you have to understand where this person is moving towards in their treatment. No different than a strength conditioning coach needs to understand how the body is influenced by load, by force and, and stuff like that and how it changes shape and what thoracic rotation really is because it's not T-spine. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, it's just, it's a way to have people who are trying to put together human movement um, to give them a system that just makes it easier to, so they can assess, they know what they're seeing and they know what exercise to pick based on that. That's awesome. So that's what, that's what, that's why I built the Evolve Mentorship was to answer a lot of questions that I was getting from a lot of people taking the different systems that are out there and just not knowing what to do with it or how to apply it to their environment. And so, yeah, it's just like, these are the universal principles that all these different courses are teaching, but they're, again, they're saying it different ways. And so like, how can I create this like foundational structure? So if they want to 
take these or reintroduce themselves to these courses, they're like, okay, well, I have this understanding of it, right? So if somebody is like, okay, that sounds pretty good. Like, what does it look like for them to connect with you and get signed up? When is the intake? Uh, what's the process like? Uh, kind of paint a picture of their journey to kind of make it easier for them to to pull the, the trigger on that uh, big, big step of theirs. Yeah. So, you know, I have all the links in my profile at dot my last, so at Alex dot effer, my last name. Um, so all the links are in my bio there. Um, you could also go to resilient to sort www.resilientrehab.com. It's all going to be there as well. And essentially when you sign up, you get access to, I've put about, six or seven hours worth of pre-recorded material um, like videos um, so that people can start to dive into some of the principles that we're going to talk about. I've also put together a few documents as kind of like cheat sheets to have by their side. So if they work with somebody, they have that right by their side and they kind of can like start to start to use things right away. And there are also going to be principles that we're going to be diving in deeper throughout the weeks. So get access to all of that. And then starts April 12th. So next week we're going to, we cert, we send out a survey because one of the things that you're doing online is you have people from all over the world. Right. And so I'm, I send out a survey to try to, you know, select a time that works for the majority of people. Obviously it's difficult to do, you know, a time that works for everybody, but everything's recording. So recorded. So, you know, if they, if they can't get access to this time, then, you know, it's recorded, but they also have the Slack group to answer to ask any questions. So they get the survey, they get the seven plus hours of recording information. They get the additional reading content that I found to be very helpful. Um, that's books, that's articles, that's documents that I've put together. And then as the weeks go on, they start to get access to the slides, the presentation. We do weekly Q&As as well. So people have questions about the content. And then we have, I think, like five guest speakers as well. So like, it's just a lot of information, um, which is great because like, I feel like when I was taking some of these courses and stuff, like the information, there was some great information, but like, to hear it from also to get guest speakers and to hear it from different people's perspectives and how they use similar systems in order to in different environments is very cool right like last time we had um chris kelly come on and he was talking about how he uses the cranium um or how he uses the principles that we talked about below in the cranium because what happens is after you graduate from a ball um, you get access to a learning, a continuing education platform called The Vault, where people who have graduated from Evolve, like we all continue the discussions, we do bi-weekly um, Q&As, um, where we just talk about things and where we dive deeper into specific things. And that was one of the biggest conversations was, okay, how do I do stuff with the, the, with the neck, the cranium, because we've talked about everything below the shoulders. How does it look above the shoulders? And so it's, it, it's really cool how things have, have grown. Um, I definitely did not have it figured together, uh, figured out, um, or put together anyway, um, the first time, but 
every time what I do is I get people to give me feedback and because I really want to make it the best learning experience possible. And so I always adjust it. I always evolve it. And I always um, upgrade the information just in case I wasn't clear from from some aspect or somebody said, hey, like this wasn't really clear. Could you elaborate on more? So I'll I'll change the slide. I'll add more stuff. And I also get an understanding of who people are in the mentorship. And so like the Evolve mentorship in October, C3, we had a few baseball professional people who uh, worked in professional baseball. So I tailored a little bit more to baseball. This past one, I had a couple power lifters. So I tailored a little more to power lifting. And that's the cool thing about a system like this is that it doesn't matter what sport or where you're coming from. It's like it can be adjusted to anything because it's the foundational principles. So, so yeah, so that's pretty much the process. If you go onto my website or you go onto my Instagram, you'll see all the information there. Yeah, and I mean, your Instagram handle will be on your, uh, basically, as you're speaking, if somebody's watching on YouTube, they'll see your Instagram handle, nice and straightforward, linked in the bio. Um, there's a couple yeah. questions that I ask or challenge my, my guests with on, on each episode. The first one, this is an old <laughs> classic. If you go back to the earlier episodes of the Lifestyle Chase, episodes like one through 100 or so, everybody's had mm-hmm. to answer this. And it's if you could give one piece of advice to someone on how to live their life to the fullest in the most authentic way, what would that piece of advice be? Live their life to the fullest, most authentic way. That's a tough question. I mean, like, a lot of things come to mind, but, like, if I were to say, you know, I think one of the biggest things is I try to be as open as possible to all experiences. And, you know, it's it's important to know when to say no, obviously. You know, I'm not saying, like, do some stuff that is not, you know, non-ethical. But what I mean is, like, you know, it's it's important to, to, to experience, like go on a trip, put yourself in uncomfortable situations, because what you're going to do is you're going to understand where your limitations are and you're able to improve those limitations. Um, and you know, we should always be trying to improve ourselves and not be rigid and be adaptable. And, and that applies to relationships, family, um, work, and just human just being a human being it's like you know always be open to criticism and always improve yourself um so i would say like reflecting on what you do and and what you say and and you know your process through life is i think is very very important to make sure that you're being as authentic as possible and you're not just going with the flow of things do you know what i mean Definitely. Just, uh, I like how you bring about the whole being open to feedback, like being able to handle like criticism kind of thing. Like not all feedback is going to be good feedback. Some feedback is going to uh, make you, uh, reinvent a few things and go about your ways differently than what you might be used to. Um, Mm -hmm. with that being said into the next question that we have on the docket is if, uh, if you were to give a challenge to the audience, what would that challenge be? It could be any challenge you want and it can honestly be as complicated as you want or as simple as you want. But basically you're going to say your challenge for the day is, and then just put it out into the universe. Easy. I would say like one of the biggest things that people don't do or say to me, they're like, well, cause I always say 
I've said forever, I've said, you know, I, I always spend an hour a day of reading. An hour a day of reading. It could be anything. Just start with something before bed. Put your phone down an hour before bed and just read a book and just be, you know, you know, totally integrated into that book. And a lot of people say, well, I can't find the time. It's like, trust me, you find an hour a day. I mean, if you can watch Netflix, you know, you, you, you can read for an hour. I mean, you just, or it doesn't have to be an hour. It could be half an hour, but find time to read 30 to 60 minutes today or tomorrow. Um, and then try to do that. Try, try to just do it a couple times a week and then progress it. It doesn't have to be like full blown every day, but start the process with an hour a day of reading and about something that you're not good at. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> so good. So good. So I'd like to thank you so much for joining me on the show. It's been a long time coming. I've been looking to have you on for like at least half a year. So I'm wow. happy to have you on the show and thank you for, for coming on. Man, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I, I always love I always love talking to like-minded people. So thank you so much. Perfect. Mm-hmm.